Hello and welcome to another edition of the End Zone Podcast. My name is Eric Jensen and I'm joined today by three good guests and, and an old friend who hasn't been on the podcast for a while, but we're, we're happy to welcome him back. Uh, joined uh, per usual by Mason YB back with us this week. Uh, glad that he's back in the mix as, as we kind of had to shift things through uh, last week. No Brad, once again, has chosen the life of the streets uh, against uh, us. You know, I am starting to take this a little bit personally. I get a little bit sad about it. You know, I just I just wish Brad valued our, our time together on this quad box situation a little bit more than uh, than he does, it seems, as he, he values Segway money over uh, talking football with his boys. You know, it's just like, it, it just makes me a little bit sad inside. He's got to take care of his cabin in the woods, you know. Yeah. He, he's just such a mysterious dude. I just wish, you know, always a good time when he's on. But I, I just, uh, I miss him on episodes like this always. And I miss YouTube when you're gone. I missed you last week, I do. Always, always good to see you and, and chat with you from uh, across the pond, as it were. Uh, joining us, Ian Kusick very old friend of this podcast i mean ian can you think about the last time you were on it it has to be like two or three years three years now like i said it was a totally different podcast back then we did we've got you know as i tend to do i cycle through the random cast of of guests and characters here and uh and and this this is a new setup for you yeah no it's been about Actually, I, I looked this up a, a few hours before we started this. Um, I think you last had me on like December of 2020. So it's been almost three years. Uh, definitely a lot different than the last time. Although I'm, I'd be lying if I said I remembered what it was like the last time I was on. So, uh, you know, it's good to be back. Good to talk some football. Haven't, haven't done that in a hot minute. So, you know, glad to be here. Appreciate it, Ian. Ian is here because he is a Patriots fan. And today we will be discussing mason's beloved afc east but before we do that guys i just uh i wanted to put this on your radars as something that i believe all all three of you will will be watching uh but especially you mason and yb expect some kind of intro conversations about this later i started watching quarterback uh on netflix today uh just right before we started got about halfway through the first episode after my beloved rsl got kicked in the teeth early i decided to tune out of that and tune into quarterback and i must say i'm about halfway through the first episode it is quite intriguing i think they did a nice job they've got me hooked um main takeaway so far is that I think this show is going to make me like Kirk Cousins, like just genuinely like and root for Kirk Cousins. So I think there is a shot that through this experience, I come into the season really hyping up Kirk Cousins. I think that's an outcome that could uh, really, uh, really uh, prosper for me here. Are either one of you in tune with the show or, or have any intentions of watching it? Uh, I mean, I saw like people discussing it on on social media, and obviously, being the fan of the team that I am, like there was a lot of discussion about you know Mahomes after like when he was a, when he 
uh, beat the Jags, and then he was about to face the Bengals. His little pe- it was pep talk in the room, in the locker room. So that's the parts I got. Like I, it it kind of makes me sound like a Neanderthal, but I don't have a Netflix subscription <laughs> because I usually don't watch a lot of a lot of stuff. Like at least as it comes out. So I'll probably try to catch up on it when I can, and it does sound intriguing. But on your first point, like I never got the Kirk Cousins hate personally. Like he seems like a fine, if somewhat goofy and somewhat uh, vanilla dude in more ways than one. But I never got why there was so much like uh, so much animosity regarding Kirk Cousins. Like seems like a decent guy, well, anti-vax part notwithstanding. But never got the hatred about. Never got all the hate about Kirk Cousins. I mean, other than the fact that, you know, he can't show up for a primetime game. Um, I'm familiar with that. I mean, I had Andy Dalton as my quarterback for 10 years, so. <laughs> uh, I, I haven't started watching it. I actually only just heard about it. Like today, there was some interview with Peyton Manning saying he wished he had done this for his career back when he was, I mean, shocker, yeah, Peyton Manning wanted to do more for publicity's sake. Um, I, I, I'll probably at least check it out. Yeah. Ian, uh, are you a Netflix? Or I'm, you know, I'm sure that maybe you have a password or, or something these days. I know Netflix is cracking. Not anymore. Down they're cracking down, baby. Yeah, Mason's right. Uh, they're they're cracking down on that stuff. You can't uh, you can't password share anymore. Which, you know, there's a whole other conversation to have about that. But uh, I personally had not actually heard of the show until today. Uh, maybe like a few hours before we started recording the timeline, the Twitter timeline was talking about it. Um. I'll watch it eventually. Uh, I'm notoriously bad at watching shows that are like currently going on unless I'm really invested in it. So like um, Last of Us on HBO, I love the games for that. So I was on top of that. Um, I mean, I'll I'll definitely tune in at some point, but I wouldn't be shocked if I just accidentally forget about it. And then three years later, it's like, oh, I should probably watch that because that's what happened with me with Game of Thrones. Like I actually finished binging it for the first time, like maybe a month ago. The nice part is uh, it's Netflix, so they don't – it's not like quite like a show like HBO where it's weekly. It's like a weekly event. They actually released all eight episodes right off the back. So you you really could binge it if you if you wanted to, which I think oh, is well, what, in that case. what I will be doing over the next few days. But, yeah. All right. Perfect, guys. Well – Let's just get into the AFC East, shall we? Uh, lots to talk about. Big division. Big part of this show. Mason, obviously, the Bills hoping to get over the hump, get that Super Bowl. Big-time teams. The Jets involved. The Dolphins look pretty good. This, this division just overall looks pretty good coming into the season. And uh, let me just start with this let's start with the bills and let's start with the defense and mason my question for you is this leslie frazier gone what's up with this defense it feels like they're running it back for about the fourth straight year you know von miller's coming off an injury that's kind of a big question mark how he looks People forget that when he was healthy last year, the Bills defense looked almost unstoppable, was really, really good. It seems like they're running it back this year. But one thing I I did start to notice this year, for the first time, I was like, 
oh, like there are some spots where I don't really see the depth anymore. Like but, uh, specifically linebacker um, where like if a Matt Milano gets hurt, I'm not sure what happens to this defense. What What are your kind of thoughts on where the roster is right now defensively going into the 2022-23 season? 23-24 season, pardon me. Uh, I, I definitely think you do have a point that, like, the known depth on the team in some areas, especially uh, in the linebacker position, isn't um, as strong as it used to be. They do have a couple of guys that have stepped up and been okay in um, spots here and there in uh, Tyrell Dodson and uh, Tyler uh, Matekovich, but it's not like you have anybody where you're like, oh, this will definitely work really nicely. Um, as far as Leslie Frazier being gone, it, maybe it does make a difference. Maybe there's something about the system he ran or how he did things that did translate to them falling off at the end of the year and having the problems that they did. And so maybe handing the system back over to Sean McDermott and letting him kind of take care of some of the pieces will be a positive outcome. I, I It's hard to really know right now how that's going to shake out, but I think that's kind of where their headspace is at, at least with why they made the move that they did. Hmm. Interesting. How do you feel about, I'm just going to highlight a, a specific player here because I think this player on the defense has just a lot on their shoulders going into 2023. Kyer Elam, how, how do you how do you view him going into this year? Do you feel like he's a solid number two across from from Trey White? Trey White has obviously had a lot of injury concerns over the past few years. How do you feel about the cornerback position outside of Trey White on this defense, and and more specifically also the depth at cornerback on the team? So I don't know that the depth is necessarily uh, extremely good. I thought that um, Terry Elam had a pretty decent rookie year and could definitely um, do a little bit better with that. Dane Jackson has stepped in and done a pretty good job in spots as well. Um, but again, it's really not like a hyper deep position. If they lose like Trey White again, it makes that secondary pretty weak outside of like the safety group. Hmm. Always interested by this. A little follow-up there. Have I been pronouncing Kair Elam's name wrong? Couldn't tell you. Oh, okay. I... <laughs> <laughs> okay, got you. You said it different there, and I was like, well, he's a fan. He listens to the radio broadcast, probably. Maybe they know something I don't. I mean, uh, yeah. I, okay. I do my best to know. No. No. I have no All idea. All right. Uh, YB, what, you know, what, what do you see when you look at this defense? Well, I mean, they'll probably be hoping that, like, Von Miller doesn't get fell by an injury again, right? Russo showed some signs of good development last year. They brought in they brought in some depth on the defensive tackle positions behind that Oliver and Daquan Jones. Like, obviously, the big loss from last year's defense is Troy Edmonds, but with the amount of money the Bears were paying him, like, I think it's I think that's a reasonable sacrifice in that regard. They beefed up safety position with, uh, in addition to the ones Mason mentioned, Taylor Rapp coming in, who I think is a bit underrated. I think like if if he's not if he's not your one or two safety, I think that's a pretty good 
pretty good spot to be in. As Mason mentioned, safety is very deep. And in addition to the three corners mentioned, Trey, Trey White, Curry Elam, and Tron Johnson, they also have Christian Benford, who looked good in the beginning and then obviously had some rookie struggles, but he's now also in his second year, so he should be improved. Like, in regards to Leslie Frazier, I mean, like I'm like I'm not I'm not gonna pretend I'm a scheme savant and kind of tell you that the change from Frazier to McDermott is gonna be like have what sort of effect, but I am kind of concerned because the only well maybe maybe not the only but the one that only example that comes to mind of really the, the defensive coordinator and head coach like person that can do both duties at the same time with great efficiency is Belichick, and like if I mean McDermott's a good coach but. Um, like if he's kind of spread himself a little bit thinner and last year, obviously the bills had a lot of uh, outs off the field issues. Some obviously not outside of their control that obviously also strained like what the coaches have to do in order to keep the players focused as well as deal with a lot of injuries. So it's an interesting experiment. If McDermott feels that he, his talents, especially because he has a defensive background would be best served by him being directly involved with the defense. That's obviously his prerogative. It's, uh, but from an outside perspective, it does present a bit of a potential risk, I think. And like that would be something that they'll have considered it before making the decision. But it's just something I think to be, to take note of as the season goes along. Yeah, I, I think I, I agree on that note. Ian, as you know, as someone who's, who's chasing the Bills in this division. Do you see any spots on the defense where you're like, oh, I think that could be a potential weakness when, you know, New England runs into them or just in general, or or am I maybe making too much of the fact that this is just a repeat defense? I, I, I think I, I have a potential bias here in that teams that run it back, I just feel sometimes lose luster but farther and farther they get away and the more and more they've run it back. And this is about the second year in a row, but Bill's defenses look almost exactly the same. So I, I'm just kind of, uh, you know, am I overreacting here or do, or, or do you think there are, are some spots where the defense could be exploited? Well, speaking as someone who's been personally victimized by the Buffalo Bills for the last three plus seasons, um, I mean, that front seven is still, disgusting if von miller comes back and is you know as healthy as he was in the beginning of the season like it was mentioned earlier he's going to be an absolute force going to be someone to deal with uh that middle line or that just you know linebacker core right there i think is a fairly underrated group very underappreciated aspect of this defense i would say if there was a weakness um as mason mentioned earlier not very deep at cornerback Outside of Troy White, uh, a lot of unproven guys, a lot of guys who could be really good or could be an absolute liability. So I'm guessing – I guess what I'm trying to say is if you're going to try and beat this Bills defense, your best bet's probably going to be target the other cornerbacks. The only issue is Trey White can handle just about anyone one-on-one -on -one in the league. You're going to be dealing with a lot of double coverage with Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, and uh, Taylor Rapp. That, that's my best bet would be targeting them if you can get them one-on-one. -on -one. It's not going to be easy, though. This Bills defense, I think, is going to be solid. Um, I think Sean McDermott is a very underappreciated 
defensive-minded coach. You look at, you know, he had some very, very good defenses in the past where the, I believe it was the 2004 Eagles where they had a couple of pro bowlers there. The 2015 Panthers who were like this close to winning a Super Bowl. Uh, both those teams had absolutely elite defenses. Uh, I think he's a very underappreciated defensive mind in the league. And I, I really don't see any major concerns just looking at it right now. Obviously, there's a few what ifs or a few, you know, situations you have to think like, OK, if this doesn't go right, this could be a trouble. Von Miller's knee is 100 percent. That's arguably your best rush, your best pass rusher right there. Just uh, not being who he could be. Uh, Trey White has had some injury concerns in the past. He goes down. Now you got a lot of unproven guys at corner. I'm going to say, though, no, no significant weaknesses in this defense right now. I could see them. You, you criticize running it back as being like not very lustrous. This team doesn't really need luster. It's got underrated and very strong talent just about everywhere. I mean, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. I, I don't really see an issue with this defense right now. I, yeah, I can bet. I can bet. I can back uh, Ian's point on uh, defense running it back because I also root for a team that's pretty much run the same defense back. I think now for the third straight season, like, with obviously with the obvious exception being the safeties for the Bengals, but like there's like continuity. I think is like when it's a fine line between continuity and stagnation. And I think it's a little too early to term it stagnation, I think, for the Bills in that regard. But I did want to ask Mason something because, like, when I was looking through social media and kind of just seeing the discussion, I get the sense that because from the outside looking in that amongst the Bills fandom, there seems to be a bit of a split opinion on McDermott's performance as a coach over the last few years, especially. Because, like, there's the obvious, like, phrases about a coach that gets his team far but can't quite get over the hump or you know there are some other issues involved like what's the what's the deal like because from the outside looking in I don't see what they would have to complain too much about regarding Dermot so you're definitely right that there is like a pretty big divide within the fan base of like is McDermott good enough to like get us over the hump and I think that at least like the the side of me that thinks like there might be some amount of reasonable to that miss to that is when I guess using like Denver as kind of that you know uh, the the guide for that when they got rid of was it John Fox yeah. and and brought in um, Kubiak and then immediately that next year they're winning a Super Bowl and so. There's something to be said for a coach being good enough to consistently get you to the playoffs, but not knowing that that person is going to be good enough to get you all the way. So, uh, so another example would be Dungy and Gruden back back what twenty some years ago or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Mason, if there's not a Super Bowl this year. Do you think that Sean McDermott is coaching this team the year after? I think that at least with the ownership group and everything, that he's bought himself quite a bit of goodwill. And it's not like he has a contentious relationship with 
like Brandon Bean or anything like that, where sometimes you see that like the GM and the head coach don't quite get along. And so even like just the smallest amount of friction can be enough for one of them to push the other one out. And I don't think that that's really the case in Buffalo. I think they're pretty happy with one another. And so I think you would need to see them fall short of like the conference championship again for that to be a serious concern. Um, otherwise, as long as they make at least a conference championship, I don't, I don't think you find Sean McDermott seeing the door in any meaningful way. All right. Let's talk about the offense. Obviously, the offense, in the end, the offense will be fine because Josh Allen is the quarterback of the offense, and having Josh Allen on your team is a cheat code because Josh Allen is an amazing player. I do think that there has been a little bit of recency bias because of that Bengals game where Joe Burrow took over and you know, probably when I did my quarterback rankings for myself a few weeks ago for our quarterback show, which will come sometime in August, I think. Um, I did I did have Joe Burrow rated slightly higher than Josh Allen, but Josh Allen is still an incredible quarterback, an elite NFL quarterback, a guy who is very, very good offensively. So I want to ask this question to you, um, Mason, because obviously last year there there were moments where the offense looked really good and there were moments where the offense looked like it had taken a step back. All right, back here. Sorry, had a little bit of a phone call there. Uh, quarterback left it on, didn't sign out of Netflix. Disaster ensued. Not enough users uh, for the the Netflix account. You know, just just a tough one indeed. Mason, my question is this: What does offensive, um, the word I'm looking for is progress, look like for this team in 2023? Uh, I mean, I think realistically they kind of need to listen to what, you know, the issue Diggs uh, has been bringing up of just, like, give him the ball more. Because, again, every time you saw that he got the ball, at least, like, 13 targets in a game, they typically won those games, and they didn't. I think they kind of need to get back to that a little bit. And Ken Dorsey's system needs to maybe evolve a little bit around that as well just trying to, again, get the ball into the good playmaker's hands, trying not to make Josh run quite as often. But uh, statistically, I think it's kind of at least, it's got to be pretty close. Right. Yeah. I think the biggest problem with the Bills' offense is they have a lot of good players, but not a lot of great players. Gabe Davis is a good player. Maybe he's not a great ta- player. Khalil Shakir is a guy I really like. I really do like Khalil Shakir, but is he anything more than just a number three receiver on a really good offense who maybe gives you one or two catches a game down the field for 80 yards or so? You know, do are there more elite players 
on this offense because right now it does feel like the only elite ones on the offense are Josh Allen and, you know, Stephon Diggs. If they could add a third, I think that would be very, very helpful for them. You, I guess, what are our thoughts on Dalton Kincaid early? I mean, I, I, I obviously am a huge fan. He went to Utah, but, you know, the facts are the facts for me. I'm not super bullish on him. So often we get this, these, this hype around tight ends and then they come in and they struggle early. I, I know that the talk out of camp has been really good around him. I just want to see it first. I, I don't know if that's a fair, you know, a fair reservation to hold Mason, but I, I just want to see it first before I totally buy in that he is some great offensive weapon that's really going to change the way the offense works. Very fair. Yeah. So I, I, I'm I'm just interested there. Um why be anything that interests you about this offense? Yeah, I'm kind of interested in how they're gonna uh, use the backfield, like because obviously they got rid of Devin Singletary and now they have James Cook and Damian Harris, if I'm remembering this correctly. Yes. And there's rumors that Dalvin, there's rumors that James might be joined by his older brother there. We'll see if he goes to that team or another AFC team, which we'll probably we'll talk about later. But like the like the run game obviously was focused so much around Josh Allen, you know, being Josh Allen and running over people and whatnot. But that's not sustainable, especially because Josh Allen's also responsible for, you know, throwing the ball a lot. And Gabe Davis, like now that the luster of that four touchdown performance against the Chiefs has worn off over the past year, like he's a average to above average number two, I'd say, like at least based on what we've seen so far. Shakir, I think, I think if Shakir is number three, that's all right. And odds are to probably be using two tight end sets or like uh, in, in name two tight end sets with Kincaid split out, something like that. Like they'll probably work something in there. Like, Obviously, the question I think facing them is whether Ken Dorsey is creative enough to utilize all those elements and get more out of the players than the more than the sum of their parts. Um, they they did draft an, they drafted an offensive lineman as well, Cyrus Torrance, who I think was pretty highly rated. A lot of people had him as a first round late first round guy. I think they got him second, if I'm not mistaken. So that's also in part because the O line also broke down. I think towards the end of the year. Like there's obviously injury concerns about Mitch Morse and his history of concussions. So it's it's but it's still gonna be a very good offense because when you have an elite quarterback and an elite at least one elite weapon in Stefan Diggs, who even though like he can create a lot of drama, like because he like because he's uh unreserved about what he wants to say, on the field he leaves it all out for that team. And I don't I don't doubt him when he go, when it comes to game day and he's gonna be out there and he's gonna do everything he can. So I'm not too worried about the offense. I'm kind of interested, interested to see how they'll evolve because I think it'll look different from what we've seen over the past couple of years and as they utilize James Cook more. Yeah. Ian, I have a question for you, and then I'd, I'd like Mason to respond to this idea as well. Obviously, this roster looks this way now, but – and obviously, there, there's been smoke around this player coming to Buffalo all offseason. What do you think the chances are? He's probably not on the roster come week one. But what do you think the chances are we get to that trade deadline on Halloween? 
and or or whenever the trade deadline is this year. I do believe it's Halloween. You know, we get to the trade deadline on Halloween. The Tennessee Titans are probably struggling, barely winning games, look like they're kind of going more into rebuild mode. What do you think the chances are then that at a point where perhaps the Bills have more tape to scout him and see how he plays this year at his age? If Derrick Henry is playing well, do you think Derrick Henry is a possibility on this roster at the trade deadline? You know, of all the things I've heard about the Titans and, you know, this offseason, Derrick Henry getting dealt the deadline, that is, that's a new one. Um, you know, it's an interesting idea. Um, it's really going to depend, depend on uh, how Buffalo has been utilizing their run game. Uh, I'm looking at, you know, the running back core right now. You got James Cook, Damian Harris, Latavius Murray, and Naheem Hines. Uh, Damian Harris... Love the guy. Loved him in New England. Uh, unfortunately, a very susceptible to the injury bug. Uh, I think Hines had a bit of an injury problem too. Latavius Murray's just old. So you're really just with James Cook as someone who you could see as a reliable running back, and that's really just not going to cut it. It's an interesting idea. Um, I don't know if Buffalo – I don't know if Tennessee's willing to part with Derrick Henry because I believe he has – I don't know how many more years he has on this contract. I know he signed a four-year deal a little bit ago, but, um, you know, it, it's an interesting idea. I'm actually very curious about Mason's opinion of it. Um, I personally would not love being in, in a division with Derrick Henry. That's really not something I want to see, personally, at least. Yeah, Mason? Uh, Derrick Henry, I'm not sure necessarily fits really the scheme that the Bills like to run. I feel like Derrick Henry is one of those pieces where you kind of want him to get, you know, maybe 15 or 20 touches a game. And I don't think that the Bills run a system that's going to allow that to happen, to let him actually beat on a defense, to to get to the point where he is bowling over people because they're just so tired of getting hit by the guy over and over again. I don't know that the Bills really – Again, run a system like that. I feel like the guy they would be more in the market for would be like a Dalvin Cook rather than a Derrick Henry. Mm -hmm. I think that's an interesting point. I do think that it wouldn't hurt the offense to add that, to add a little bit more balance. And then you're asking Josh Allen to run last because – you know, you said you wanted Josh Allen to run less this year, but like uh, one thing that has to happen then, I think we both agree then, Mason, is James Cook has to develop because there were moments last year for long stretches of the season where the Bills' run game was Josh Allen. Like he was fair run game. And for rest of a run game, for as good as Devin Singletary is and for as uh, high of a motor of player as he is, and how he'll get you tough yards when you need him. He's not a bell cow back. And if you don't want Josh Allen to be running so much, James Cook, I really do think, has to develop a ton more than where he's at right now. Or I do think you do, like, I know you you don't want to see your quarterback in harm's way, but when he's got legs like that and you're an offensive coordinator, like, you have to use them if your running backs aren't going to be able to effectively move the ball in the run game. I, it's just the fact of the matter. 
Yeah, and it is the really hard part with having him be as genuinely effective as it at it as he is because it's like, well, at least if he was a running quarterback, but he didn't run very often, and when he did, he didn't really pick up as many yards as he did. Or it, but he's so good at picking up the first down whenever he needs it. He's so good at like making that play when it needs to happen. It's so hard to ignore him as a playmaker himself. Yeah. All right. That's the Bills. I think we can move on to our next topic of conversation. The Miami Dolphins. And Ian, I, I just want to throw this out to you. Let's say Tua stays healthy. Let's say... All you right, know, big if already. We love that. Big if. Big if already. If Tua stays healthy, how good can this offense be? Uh, very. Uh, I'm just... I'm just looking at it right now. So Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson are both very, very good running backs. They both kind of do very similar roles. But uh, I think for what I what I imagine Miami's trying to do on offense, uh, I think they fit that role very nicely. You know, someone who can get touches both running between the tackles, outside the tackles, or just out of the backfield is on a pass. Uh, love both of those there. Um, then you got Tyreek Hill. Jalen Waddell, Cedric Wilson, Robbie Anderson, who I guess isn't Robbie Anderson anymore. Um, he's Robbie Chosen, I guess. I what, whatever that means. Uh, and then you got Braxton Berrios, uh, Patriots legend, by the way. Um, that's five solid wide receiver talents right there. Berrios is a solid depth piece, and if Robbie Anderson's your fourth best wide receiver, that's a pretty solid problem to have. I know he's not Robbie Anderson that we know anymore. He's you know. He's older, but at the same time, it's like he's still Robbie Anderson. Uh, tight ends are a little weak right now. I don't know. We can see they don't need to be. I don't. Th I think that's a good problem to have with this team is that they don't need to be flashy because they have so many wide receivers that can really just put up big numbers, especially Hill and Waddle. I mean, that's such an unfair combo. I don't know who allowed the, the Dolphins to do that, but you know, here we are. And of course, the most important part of the uh, the offense, you got Alec Ingold, you know, Wisconsin Badgers legend right there, uh, holding down the fullback position. We love that. Um, I mean, this is a dangerous offense. If if health can, uh, if, if it, the health needs to stay there, and especially with Tua, you know, Tua, people are gonna make the jokes about the concussions and everything, but. It's a very scary thing to think about with Tua that you know he takes one more bad hit, that could be it for him. Yeah, um, you, I don't know if if you're the Dolphins, you want to be relying on the legend of Mike White or Skylar Thompson. All due respect to Mike White, of course, but uh, hey man, that man's got dog in him. Oh, he's yeah. got that dog in him. I'm not denying that. Like, but, uh, if there's one thing Mike White is, it's tough as fucking nails. That's true. I I'm not concerned about injuries for Mike White. I'm more concerned about injuries for guys who hit Mike White. <laughs> Matt Milano might disagree, but go on. Yeah, Matt yeah, Milano definitely uh, disagrees. We don't got to go there. Um, <laughs> if Tua can stay healthy, this has a very, very dangerous offense right here. If Tua, you know, gets decapitated again, this might be the worst offense in the league. It really starts and ends with if Tua can stay healthy. If Tua doesn't stay healthy, I'm not really convinced that I have any other backup quarterbacks are going to be able to uh, 
keep it going. Tua is a very, you know, people, I'm not a huge Tua fan myself, but I can at least understand that, yes, he's a very dynamic playmaker. He's a very dangerous quarterback to leave. You got to scheme around Tua. And that's the thing about this offense, but you, you can't talk about the Dolphins without talking about Mike McDaniel and the fact that this offense is just schemed perfectly for Tua. Like it is catered to the quarterback. And uh, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to listen. It's on the Athletic Football Show podcast feed, uh, but the series by Jordan Rodriguez, The Playmakers, very interesting deep dive into the Shanahan McVay kind of coaching tree and how that whole group of those, you know, famed Washington young coaching room all ended up where they are in the NFL. I thought it was very, very interesting. But one of the things that I learned from it is Mike McDaniel is very big into just scheming around who his personnel is, which is kind of got me intrigued by Mike White as a backup. I, I don't believe I'm on as down on him if if he gets hurt as as you guys are potentially. But I, I do agree that, you know, the Dolphins, there's just a lot of ifs that you have to go the right way, that just have to go the right way for the team to to show out and and be what we we think they can be. Um I mean the concerns there exist with Tua obviously because he has a history of concussions I think obviously that's a legitimate complaint but if you think about it like with any other offense like that's home by a good home by at least a good quarterback say the Chiefs the Bengals the Chargers the Eagles you remove their star quarterback from them then what do you have really like there's not there's not many teams that have a backup that says on the good on the quality as their famed starter and for good reason that's why they're the famous starters like and the health issue, obviously, like not just Tua, but also their prized acquisition last year's free agency, Toronto Armstead, who is also notoriously uh, susceptible to getting injured a few times. Like it's not Tua's blind side because he's a lefty. So I think that might be a plus. But they got they brought in Isaiah Wynn, who I think he's like he'll he can do some things to to uh, solidify the blind side of Tua. And the tight the tight end thing, like they. Because Mike, Dan- Mike Daniels' offense like, was schemed a certain way, they really didn't use Mike Kosicki at all because Kosicki can't block with a dam. And so I think though, I think their tight ends are going to be primarily used as six offensive linemen if they're on the field at all. So I don't think that's a concern. And as you mentioned, he McDaniel schemes around the talent he has, and and then conversely brings in talents that fit his scheme. So they brought they drafted a running back in the third round, Devin Chain, was really 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 fast. So there's more speed there. So they're intending to really run track meets with Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle, and the like. And obviously also last year, Tyreek at the end also had some niggling issues, like even though he was still fast as hell. So the health thing obviously is a concern because last year, like the Dolphins were negatively impacted by it a lot. Like obviously because of the because the injury was to the quarterback, I think was also amplified a lot in the media. And also because there was speculation that Tua might be forced to medically retire, but like the offense is potent as hell. And Mike McDaniel, like in addition to developing a scheme, I think has brought in the talents that are necessary to implement the scheme. And that's a good sign of a coach that's willing to adjust and craft a team in the way that he sees fit. 
What I do, what I do wonder though, is because the the Dolphins' offense last year obviously was gangbusters, and they have elite talents, but defenses are not stationary. Like they now have a year's worth of tape, and obviously there's a limit to how much tape watching to cover someone like Tyree Kill or Jaden Waddle. But there are ways to scheme to kind of make make the offense adjust one more time. I think McDaniel's smart enough to do that, but it might be a work in progress. And sometimes I think they'll hit a rut that they didn't quite hit at times. So we'll see. Because last year, for example, in the Chargers game, the Dolphins couldn't get anything going. And that was against the Chargers defense that wasn't very good for most of the season. So it's happened in last year. It might happen a few more times this year. Whether they'll survive through it is, I think, the next challenge that McDaniel and Tua have to face. But they're a very good team, especially in offense. Hmm. But defense, I'm just I'm just gonna throw this out here. because uh, it's it's something I've been tiptoeing around in some of our earlier conversations on best rosters and things like that earlier. I, I look at this Dolphins defense with you know Raquan Davis, Christian Wilkins up front. I like Zach Siler a lot, but then you look at their edge duo of Bradley Chubb and and Jalen Phillips. And you've got pretty good linebackers in in Jerome Baker inside. You bring in Jalen Ramsey. You have Javon Holland as your safety who played really well down the stretch last year. And Vic Fangio as your defensive coordinator. What's the argument that this is not, because I feel like one of you will disagree with me. What is the argument that this is not a top, three to five NFL defense next year. Like, I I just think that while the offense, yes, they have question marks, even if they lose to it for a few games, I truly think this defense is good enough to win them at least two or three games just on their own. I I, I really do think that. Well, so I guess I'll go first because I I agree to an extent that this is going to be a very solid unit. Um. I'm going to have like some similar criticisms to this defense as I did to the Bills. Uh, solid front seven, like you said. Uh, just looking at their uh, secondary right now, outside of Xavier and Howard, I'm not really afraid of anybody on that on that secondary. Um, Jalen Ramsey, obviously, was once the best cornerback in the NFL. You know, no debate. But that was a while ago. He's been banged up, had kind of a quiet few years. Um, obviously, it's very realistic that he gets a resurgence in Miami this season. But who knows? Maybe I'm just undervaluing him. Maybe I, maybe it's because he was playing for a middling Rams team last season that we didn't hear a lot of, a lot about him. I, I'm just not very impressed with the secondary right now. That's my biggest criticism of it right now. Of course, now that I've said that, I'm going to eat my words, and Mac Jones is going to have seven interceptions against them this season. But, you know, we we will cross that bridge when we get to it. <laughs> you sure it will be Bailey Zappi throwing those interceptions? I kid. Uh, I kid. They're, I pretty kid, much the I same, kid. they're pretty much the same person. So, you know, that's okay. We'll we'll talk about Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi uh, in a little bit because I, yeah. I got some words to say about them. <laughs> yeah. No, I think the Dolphins defense, like you look at it, like in addition, like, I'm a little higher on the secondary than Ian you are because Ramsey, I agree that he's, I think maybe it's because last year was such a dumpster fire for the Rams that he kind of got forgotten about. And I think Ramsey also showed signs of slippage like 
even late in their Super Bowl campaign and in last year. He was definitely not the same player that he was when he was undoubtedly one of the one of, if not the best corner in the NFL. But they did discover a pretty good kid in Cater Coho. And I think as their third corner, I think he'll be very well. Like the the secondary does like I think if I were Dolphins, there will be some players because Xavier Howard wasn't the same player that he was for most of his career last year. You saw him get burned quite a bit. And Jalen Ramsey, obviously, is also somewhat aging, although he's not in his 30s yet. So that's the concern you have, like, because corner cornerback, obviously, is a, is a quote-unquote stopwatch position. And who knows when the cliff comes for the elite athletes that play there. And I think it might have come for Saban Howard already. Javon Holland is a good player, but their other safety is a question mark. So that's also an important concern with me. But the front seven, especially the edge, Jalen Phillips, who... Uh, successfully overcame the medical concerns that he had during his draft process. He's a very, very good pass rusher. Bradley Chubb, well, he better be playing now that he's got that, now that he's got that huge ass deal. And Christian Wilkins is a beast in the inside, so they have a very, they have a very good D line. The linebackers, like they lost their leading tackle last year, Landon Roberts, but they brought in David Long, who I think will do more than more than fine in that role. And Agba's underrated, so. They're going to be a good defense, and with Fangio like coaching them up, who's had a track record all over the place as a good as a defense whisperer, they'll be a they'll be a good defense. But I I do agree, I do see where Ian's coming from in that the secondary like it could be a place where the names outvalue where the names outshine the production. If you kind of if you get what I'm saying, mm. like, yeah, I, you know I, I see I see that argument, but I I just. For me, I, I'm a I'm a big believer in the Dolphins this year. Uh, I just I, I really think that this is going to pan out well for them. All right. Anything else on the Dolphins, or I, I think we can move on here. I always feel bad because we're going to obviously focus more on the teams, but we have people on the panel for uh, the Patriots. All right, Ian. I don't know how to feel about the Patriots. Um, I'm. I'm interested to see how you feel because I feel like there are two predominant Patriots narratives out there this year. Negative well, first. Um, can can I just throw these out here really really quick and just tell me which one you subscribe to more? Negative first. Mac Jones did not look very good last year. There's a little bit of turmoil on whether he'll start a full year or not they did not do much to make the offense a ton better like juju is a nice move but there's still no elite number one wide receiver really on the roster it's been a while since you've been to the playoffs like things are kind of stagnant defensively but uh who knows but there, there's also another predominant narrative, which I, I do think there is Patriots hope because defensively, I think they're loaded personally. Uh, I really, I really, really, really like the defense. I like the fact that you add Christian Gonzalez to an already pretty good defense with, you know, Jonathan with Jonathan Jones and, and Marcus Jones as well. Um, and, you know, I, I like the linebacking core. I think it's it's solid, you know, and up front, 
Matthew Judon has played pretty well. Dietrich Wise is a very good player as well. You've got some guys there that are just going to be solid, and Belichick is going to coach them up, and they are going to have a good defense. And this is year four of the rebuild for the defense. So the defense, I think, is going to be very good, no matter what. I think they're a very good defense that will keep the Patriots competitive and in games. And if you want to look at the bright side for the offense, last year, Joe Joe Judge or Matt Patricia was running your offense. And I know people want, you can make jokes about Bill O'Brien all you want, but there was a period in time where he had tremendous success at the NFL level as an offensive mind. And he just got done coaching the offensive system that Mac Jones came up in at Alabama. This system, I think, is going to fit Mac Jones much better than anything he's had before. I do think there's a shot he improves. Juju Smith-Schuster is a good enough weapon where you can count on him in the red zone. They really lacked red zone scoring last year. That was a big kind of boo-boo for the team. Tyquan Thornton is your deep threat. You have someone that can take the top off if you need to. And you bring in Mike Gusecki. You haven't had a tight end this good really in your room since Gronk. And we know that the Patriots offensives have always been predicated around tight ends. Which narrative do you fall more into believing? Because I I do think there's a way you can think the Patriots are on the up and up and there's a chance they can be a 10 win team and maybe compete for the last wildcard spot. But I also see the arguments where, no, they're just going to be between seven and nine wins and kind of in the middle of the pack again. Well, um, I don't know if I necessarily subscribe wholly to either ideology here. Um, I'll start with the positives of this Patriots team, and then uh, I'll rationalize uh, at the end where I stand on the team as a whole. Um, The biggest positive right now, this team is nice on defense. And maybe I'm just being a bit of a homer right now, but I'm not really seeing any significant holes per se. Uh, Your front seven, like you said, Matthew Judon, Dietrich Wise coming off the edge. Uh, you got a nice linebacker core. You know, Jawan Bentley's kind of grown into a beast. Uh, Jelani Taivai, very underrated, unsung hero of this defense. Josh Uche kind of becoming a mini beast. Uh, even just looking on the defensive line right now, you got a pairing of Devon Godshow and Christian Barmore, who are just absolute units in the trenches. Uh, front seven, very optimistic about it. Love what I saw last season. I see no reason why it's not going to be a lot of the same next season. Uh, Looking ahead at the secondary, Christian Gonzalez is going to be that guy. He's going to be him. Uh, Kyle Duggar is a freak of nature as like a a little box safety. Just, you know, he's six foot. He's, he's built like a middle linebacker, but runs like a cornerback. Uh, He's, I don't, I don't know where, I don't know how he played division two football when he had, Better size, better skill sets than most Division One safeties. But, uh, hey, hey, Belichick got him in the second round. We love to see that. Uh, Jonathan Jones is just such a consistent talent at quarterback. Not a very flashy player, but I'm very optimistic. And then you got – you mentioned Marcus Jones, too. Just, you know, offense, defense, special teams. He just does whatever Bill asks him to do. Uh, I think he's slated to be the uh, slot corner to start the season. So I'm very excited about – uh, what he's going to bring in year two. 
Uh, the one major question mark is that with Devin McCourty retiring, Jabril Peppers is our starting free safety right now. I don't necessarily love that, but we could do a whole lot worse. So I, I, I'll give him his day to just, you know, to go for it. Uh, another thing I'm really loving about the Patriots, uh, I love Ramondre Stevenson. I don't know. I don't think you mentioned him, but uh, when he was splitting carries with Damian Harris, he was, in my opinion, far more explosive. He was hitting the holes harder. Um, I'm pretty sure he's a faster back, even though they're about the same size. He's a little faster. Actually, that's a lie. Ramondre Stevenson's way heavier, but I think he is still faster. Um, he did hit 1,000 yards last season, which we love to see. Uh, a very unsung running back. That's that's one thing I think about this Patriots team is a lot of unsung heroes. Uh, offensive line has a couple of question marks. Riley Rife's kind of getting up there in age. Uh, Trent Brown was very, very not great at left tackle last season, so I don't know how Bill's going to scheme that. Uh, Cole Strange is probably the biggest question mark right now because he was slated as a fourth-round talent, and they got they took him at pick 29. Uh, he showed flashes where he looked like the he looked like prime Zach Martin, or there were also instances where he would just get beat by by nobodies. So I think year two is going to be very nice to Cole Strange. I think he's going to develop quite nicely. Um, I'm excited to see what this wide receiver core can do in Bill O'Brien's system because before the Patriots even announced that Matt Patricia was going to be doing play calling duties with Joe Judge last season, I was part of the crowd that was saying, "Dude, Bill O'Brien is right there." He and Belichick have a rapport together. Uh, obviously, they they went with Patricia at first for God knows what reason that I, I can't explain it. I don't I don't know if science can explain it quite frankly, but uh, I'm excited to see what they can cook for whichever one of our white bread quarterbacks. Which I'm looking right now at all three of them. Uh, we essentially have the same quarterback three times over right now because we have Mac Jones, Bailey Zappi, and Trace McSorley. Trace McSorley. Uh, he doesn't get to be called Trace McSorley until he does something in the uh, preseason. Uh, this is kind of where I'm going to start switching over into my question marks slash negatives. Uh, Mac Jones had a pretty dreadful 2022. I'm just going to be entirely candid. I uh, had some flashes of brilliance highlighted by some Mac, what the hell are you doing? And there, it's very concerning that there were instances where Bailey Zappi came in and outperformed him. Uh, you know, everyone saw what happened on Monday Night Football against the Bears. I forgot what week that was. I think that was week eight or week nine. Um, Mac had a very bad first drive. I'm pretty sure he was still hurt, so the crowd started booing him and saying, we want Zappi. Uh, I can't <laughs> say I was thrilled about how that was handled, but... At the same time, I don't love that Mac was starting injured, so maybe Zappy should have been playing in the first place. Uh, regardless, between the two of them, very similar quarterbacks, decent arm, nothing to write home about. But at the same day, at the same time, when they're on, they're on. Uh, the wide receiver group, like you said, this is a wide receiver group full of number twos. No dedicated number one. And I would love to see Tyquan Thornton take that next step forward because he would sh he would show flashes of brilliance. And then there were games where he would just disappear. Devontae Parker, 
same thing. You know, he's a little older, so we're not really expecting the world out of him. But at the same time, he shows flashes where, you know, he makes an incredible play. He needs a ton of yardage and scores. Or he's just totally invisible for a game. Juju creates an interesting dynamic. Uh, he's probably the closest thing we have to a number one option right now at wide receiver. I'm still not totally comfortable with that because he hasn't really shown much when he is the number one option. I would be a whole lot more comfortable with him as the number two option with a dedicated number one. Uh, whether or not they go after DeAndre Hopkins, uh, I, I don't think we're going to get him, but if we do, that'd be really cool. I don't know. Uh, what else is there to talk about this team? Uh, they're going to be strangely really good on special teams. Huzzah. Cole going to be helping out? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Look, the quarterback thing, it's just Bill trying to build his new robot. He's got three iterations of it right now, and he's hoping one of them steps up and becomes his new two-decade robot of the future. I'd like that. Yeah. I wouldn't. It, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see how the Mac Jones stuff plays out. YB, your thoughts kind of on Mac Jones and, and the way you see – the Patriots offense potentially playing out this year. And then I think we can move on to the Jets and then hopefully wrap up here. So we, we keep this thing under an hour and 15 minutes. Well, I mean, when the lasting memory I have of Mac Jones last season is when he was on the sidelines and we were lip reading that, Oh, the ball, the fucking quick game sucks. Like that's when that's the memory <laughs> that of Mac Jones we have last season, you know, what kind of season it was. I think Ian can probably knows what, what moment I'm talking about. In Mac's defense, the quick game was sucking at that point. Yeah, I mean, I don't blame Mac for saying what he said, like because it did suck. But I, I, have... I was saying worse things at that point. <laughs> yeah, but you're not on the sidelines getting filmed, so there's that. It would be kind of cool if it was, if I was, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, but they have an actual offense, actual offense-oriented mind, and someone that actually has had some success in the NFL, like scheming offenses and Bill O'Brien. So I mean. Bill Belichick doesn't hire outside of his coaching tree, so you, know, you still wonder why it wasn't Bill O'Brien last year, but hey, Bill works in mysterious ways. And uh, like I, I share the concerns about Juju because it, with Juju, when Juju was the number one in Pittsburgh, it didn't turn out well for the Steelers. And like in, in Kansas City, obviously he was a distant number two to Travis Kelsey, so he works best when he's a two. And hence all the fervor about DeAndre Hopkins. I know a few Patriots fans who were clamoring for the Patriots to get get DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins, no questions asked. And then I told them, like, I wonder if DeAndre Hopkins went went to Foxborough and said, hey, Coach Bill, how are you doing? And then he saw Bill O'Brien and, and nope the hell out of there. But, like, and the offensive line that, like, two positions on the offensive line I really saw David Andrews and Michael Winnie, they're very good, like, Trent Brown's much better on the right side, but unfortunately, Ryder Reef can't play left tackle at this point in his career. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Ramondre, I think he's Ramondre should have been the number one back like from the beginning last year. And I think going on, I think Bill finally saw that was the right thing to do. So like Ramondre with some uh, head scratching moments, notwithstanding <laughs> Vegas, 
Uh, uh, that was on Jacoby Myers. Oh, no, no, wait, no, it's, no. Uh, Myers wait, had no Stevenson. business eating that ball that far, but Mac Jones yeah, wasn't Steve, expecting it. You know, Steve, yeah, Stevenson was the one that initially had the carry, and then he lateraled to the Myers, and then Myers had his. Uh, I mean, Myers was like six moment. feet behind him. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was just a. Uh, I think a it was a divine, pun, divine punishment from the from happened for the twenty years that Bill terrorized the FCS, but again, he hurt himself. But and I do wonder how they're going to use Kasiki because. The, the tight ends that they've used in in New England all have they block you know they know how to block well and Kasiki as I mentioned previously does not like he doesn't it's not that he doesn't block well he's that he doesn't block period <laughs> and so you wonder how they're gonna utilize him and whether it's gonna be one of those uh, uh tight end in name only where he split out wide and like I don't get like. I don't get why the Patriots fans like well some of some of the noisy ones are so clam or so clamoring for Bailey Zappi. Like I, I guess they remember what happened twenty years ago when an unheralded backup came in and then became the greatest of all time. But that's uh once in a once in a millennium experience, I would assume. Well, um actually I can I can actually answer why they were calling for Zappi at that point. Uh it was recency bias. Hmm. So Mac Jones went down like week five or something like that yeah. with his ankle injury. Uh, Zappi came in actually so Zappi started the season as a third string quarterback um, he came in against the Packers when Brian Hoyer went down with a concussion and he you know had a respectable game for a third string rookie who had had no professional reps prior to that uh, and then he had pretty solid showings the next two weeks against Detroit and Cleveland so when Mac Jones was announced the starter again for that next week against Chicago and then immediately didn't start showing out. I suspect because he was still hurt. Uh, that's when the "We Want Zappy" chance started up, and okay. that, that game was just a shit show from start to finish. I mean, it, it makes a little more sense, and when that when given that context, but still, right. like when you consider like Mac, like even if he wasn't like a special talent, like he was very very good in his rookie year, like. He was, he was like, when you consider that he, even if though he's a first round, he's a mid first round rookie and he let the, he was not the detriment that got the team killed in the playoffs. Well, maybe a little bit, but you can't expect a rookie he quarterback to. was hardly the biggest problem yeah, that game. Yeah. He wasn't the biggest problem when they, when you got pasted by the Bills. So like, yep. I, I, I don't like, and you hamstring him with a guy like Patricia who's never run an offense before. Like, can you not, can you, how can you not have seen this coming? But I, like, a lot of us did. I know. So the hiring was very, very unpopular. Yeah, I, I got that vibe too from um, from the Patriots fans I know, <laughs> and they were proven right. Like it's one of those rare cases when the fans knew whether than better than the coach. And Vindication is a beautiful thing. Yeah, and hindsight is a beautiful thing as well. Mm-hmm. But like going over to the defense, like uh, which one was the Jones that got busted with a gun at the airport? Was so actually, that wasn't even mentioned. That was Jack Jones. Yeah, that was Jack, right? So they're <laughs> collecting all the Jones, all the Joneses, like possible that played defensive back, and they're all mostly good. Uh, like Marcus Jones, like the coverage may be an issue, but he's a dynamic playmaker in special teams and occasionally on offense. <laughs> and uh, J- uh, Jonathan Jones turned into a very good corner. Duggar, like was an IDP wizard last year, like, because he scored so many touchdowns on, on the defensive end. And, it, it, like, the concern about Jabril Peppers being your starting other starting safety, I think it, there's reason for concern. But Pe- Peppers isn't a bad player by any stretch of the imagination. He's just not – he's just not Devin McCourty. And let's be honest, like, not everyone is Devin McCourty. So, uh, no. 
and they have those two hog mollies in the, in the middle with Barmore and Gacho. And so they're going to be a good defense because Bill Belichick's still there and that brain of his hasn't aged a bit in terms of scheming defenses. Like, so what do you think they're, they'd be bound for like a bit of a bounce after a lot of things that could go wrong did go wrong for them last year? But like the other teams have improved so much that it's just kind of a very sad situation where you think you have a pretty decent team, but for some reason you're still last in the division. Like that's the kind of a sad state of affairs that I think some Pats fans are dreading. Yeah. That's the Patriots. The Jets, as we wrap up here, one question for the Jets. I just feel like we've spent a lot of time talking Jets on this podcast. Um, personally, uh, we had Josh Newman on a few weeks ago. Go back. There's a really big Jets roster deep dive in there. One simple question for each of you, and then we can get out of here because I want to be respectful of our times tonight. I know it's a we got a late start on the East Coast tonight. What the Jets, obviously very good defense last year, very good running back who gets injured in the middle of the year. Running backs coming back. Offense adds Alan Lazard, McCole Hardman, some decent players. Corey Davis is coming back as a veteran wide receiver. Offensive line has some questions, but the reports around Mackay Becton right now are good. One question for each of you and, and your rationale around it. The Jets, does it work? Does this work out for the Jets? Whatever that means. Does this work out for the Jets, Mason? I mean, I think for this to work out for the Jets, they really need to make some pretty deep runs into the playoffs. Because I mean, they when you go after somebody like Aaron Rodgers, when you have the roster that they already have, this isn't some, oh, in three or four years, we'll be a better team and we'll make it work and we'll figure it out. It's we're here to win now. Like you got to win right now or all of this is going to end up being yet another colossal failure by the Jets, another mismanagement of their resources and their time and more personnel that they've wasted their you know best years of. So do I think they're going to be successful by the standards that they need to be? I don't really. I, I don't think that they're going to end up looking at this in a way that, you know, again, they can call it successful because they're not some team that just drafted a quarterback where it's like, oh, well, they made it to the divisional round. They've got some hope now going into next year and the next year, and they're going to build on that. They have a pretty small window right now. Yeah. YB? I don't think it will, like personally, like, and it's not, it's not, it's not because they don't have talent. They do. But when you think, when you look down the roster, like, when you look at what, like the situation that Aaron Rodgers came from and where he is now, in terms of weapons, like last year, notwithstanding, Devontae Adams was a better player than Garrett Wilson is now. Like, obviously, Devontae Adams is one of the best there is in the league. And then they brought in Alan Lazard. So that's a wash, obviously, <laughs> like, Kind of ironic when they when Rogers said I want like the Packers never gave him weapons and then he brings the weapons that he used in Green Bay all the way to New York. So, but that's neither here nor there. And 
the tight ends are nothing special, like CJ Uzama, who I respect a lot because of what he did on our Super Bowl run, but he's an average player. Tyler Tyler Conklin's about the same. The line's better, I think, than in Green than the last couple of years in Green Bay, but on the whole, I don't see how like in terms of what the talent they have, like it's so I don't see it as so much better than what he, what Rodgers had in Green Bay, and the division's a lot tougher. Like the defense, sure, the defense is probably better than what Green Bay had, but I don't I don't see the additional Rodgers as being the tipping point that pushes them over the rosters that the Bills or the Dolphins have. And, and to be perfectly honest, like because the Jets are find ways to screw things up in the most Jets ways possible. Like I know this because I'm a Bengals fan and I know what a similar feelings that though they might end up like even splitting games with the Patriots, who most will likely see as the number four team in the division. So I don't see it working. I don't I don't think the addition of Rogers will make will carry them to the success that the Jets fans are hoping for. Mm. Ian. I think uh, you guys made a very good point about Aaron Rodgers and you know just the entire team in general. Uh, I'll just say this much. Uh, I think this team, there's a certain level that this team needs to be for it to be considered a successful, successful season. And I think you need to at least make the playoffs. You know, obviously you prefer a deep playoff run. And I think this team is capable of it per se. Uh, certainly have the weapons for it. And uh, I think the defense can get the job done. Again, outside of like Sauce Gardner and a couple other guys, I'm not like in love with this defense, but I think it's good enough to do what it needs to do. What I'm more concerned about is if this blows up, which, you know, the Jets have a tendency to blow up, uh, at least in recent memory. If Aaron Rodgers has one year in New York and is like, screw this, I'm done. This team's back in fourth place in the AFC East. Yep. Um, with that being said, it would be absolutely hilarious if this happened. And the Jets, you know, after hyping everything up, they just completely fall apart and go like four and 13. <laughs> I don't think that will happen no, as probably. hilarious as it would be. But, you know, am I actively preying on their downfall? I mean, I'm I'm from New England. I've been preying on their downfall since I was five years old. <laughs> Got it. But, uh... No, I think this is a steady <laughs> third place team in the AFC East, uh, possibly second place if the Dolphins Dolphin. Yeah. For Jets, I mean, to me, I think a successful season looks like making the playoffs. I think realistically, you can't expect more than that, especially with how loaded the AFC is. If this works, they will be a playoff team this year, and Aaron Rodgers will say, hey, like, let's get some more weapons and go all in and run it back next year and try to really go for one last Super Bowl run. If Aaron Rodgers falls off, you know, they're probably, you know, a seven, eight win team. I don't see any reality in which the Jets are any worse than six wins unless something really terrible happens injury-wise. Um, so I, I do think it will work out, but I think in the end working out, it's going to look like squeaking into the playoffs with 10 or 11 wins and 
maybe getting bounced in the first round. Yeah. But you know what would be funny is that like Aaron Rodgers this year, you know what you know what his cap hit is this year? What what, what? one point two million because he restructured all of it into next year. Next year his cap hit is 107 million. There's no next year. There is no next year. If you go at least restructure, if there is a next year, you're restructuring a lot of that. I don't even know how much that yeah. you can restructure. Uh, you, you probably you probably have to make to actually actually create a new contract with void years out the wazoo and do all the newfangled cap shenanigans that they do. And even so, like in Rogers, if Rogers does what Rogers usually does and says, "I need more weapons, bring in this player, this player," Rogers's contract is going to be the thing that presents an obstacle to that. This this like. When you look back at fact, his cap hit this year is 1.2 million. This is the year that they need to do everything. That this is their all-in-one chance. I think. Like, I don't think they have a next year. Interesting. That's my opinion. I I would disagree, but it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. All right, guys. Thank you all so much for joining me. This has been a ton of fun, Ian. Thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. I know you're busy with. With uh, you've got a night job these days, which is uh, you know, always, always a challenge with podcasting. But you know, we get into mid-November or October or whenever. You know, we we are usually recording Wednesday nights these days. We'd love to have you back on during the regular season for a week potentially, if you're interested. Brother, we'll 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 see when the time comes. I mean, obviously, I would love to come back. It just comes down to uh. Yeah, when I got the time. I mean, yes. I was fortunate enough to have tonight off, actually. So yeah, scheduling is always always a little bit of an issue. But you know, the benefit is not only did you actually get me tonight, you got me while I was sober. That's actually like the most impressive part. Yeah. Wow. Wonderful. Thank you, Ian. Wonderful. Thank you for staying sober. We we appreciate that. All right. Just a little bit of some housekeeping. We're taking a little break. I can promise potentially one show within the next three weeks but they said eric get out eric experience life eric go you know let yourself out there connect with people go on adventures okay i did that i scheduled some things some things are coming up some some times need to be spent with people some some lollapaloozas need to be gone to in chicago so that's what i gotta do and that means no podcast for those weeks. So, yeah, guys, it's it's just it's just kind of goodbye until August, it seems. And hopefully we get back in August and Brad's like, oh, guys, I've got enough Segway money. I'm, I'm back out. But until then, we, we will see you next time. And, uh, thank you all so much for joining us. Check us out on Twitter at EndZonePod. Thank you again for being such great listeners, the few that we do have. We really appreciate you. Until next time, peace out.